Today's title is Community Includes Accountability. That A word seems to be a bad word. Accountability. It, it is something that we fight against in our culture because our culture um, is, is against being accountable to anyone. But I believe that be, to be a contributing part of a growing local church, you, you have to be accountable. You know, um, the world has the stance of you mind your business and I'll mind my business. You know, that's the same attitude that came out of Cain in the book of uh, Genesis. The first brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain said it like this, I'm not... My brother's keeper. Think about that statement. I'm not my brother's keeper. I'm not responsible for my brother. Who did Cain say that to? God. God asked Cain, do you know where your brother is? Cain should have been bright enough to know that God knew where Abel was. God wasn't playing jokes on Cain. But Cain's response was, here's the line, God. You stay on your side and I'll stay on my side. It's my business. Stay out of my business. I don't want to know where my brother is because I killed him. <laughs> I mean, Cain had killed Abel. And God, at that moment, was holding Cain responsible for it. That accountability. You know, God sees what we do. And we're accountable before him. But we're also accountable to each other. I'm not accountable for you, but I am accountable to you. And that's something that the body of Christ really doesn't quite understand. And I, I think I can say that pretty confidently because this, this issue of discipleship, we, we, we do a bad job of. And the discipleship component of the local church or making disciples is, is wrapped up and integrated with this idea of accountability. I'm accountable to you. You're accountable to me, whether you like it or whether you don't. But listen, we fight against this culture who says, why are you up in my grill? <laughs> in other words, get out of my face. I didn't call you and ask you for my opinion. Leave me alone. If you text me, I'm going to block you. If you write something I don't like on my Facebook, I'm going to unfriend, defriend you. I want to hear what I want to hear, and I don't want to hear anything that's going to offend me or possibly offend me. So, the thinking is, I, you know, I don't get into anyone's business, so why are you getting in my business? 
And we, we don't give each other the right to bring correction. Because God himself can't even correct us. This mentality of, I don't owe you anything, can translate into us saying to God, I don't owe you anything. Because listen, the body of Christ is a reflection of God. If we don't walk in humility with one another, how can we say that we walk in humility before God? If we don't love one another, how can we say that we love God? I know I'm going pretty deep really quick, but I'm going to unpack this a little bit. You're there in Romans 14? Listen, the minute that we come in relationship with the body of Christ, there's a responsibility that we share. And like I said, I'm not responsible for you, but I am responsible to you. None of us are living on an island by ourselves. God did not create us and call us to live on an island by ourselves. And what we do has an effect on others, either for negative or for positive, right? Romans 14, verses 12 and 13 in the Living Bible says this, Each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is what God was speaking to Cain about. You're accountable to me. So where's your brother? How do I know? He didn't tell me where he was going. No, God knew what had happened before God asked Cain where his brother was. It says, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Try to live in such a way that you will never make your brother stumble by letting him see you do something that he thinks is wrong. That's pretty plain, isn't it? But people's attitude, is that, attitude about that is, I don't care what people think about what I do. And then the, the next step after that is, they're going to judge me anyway. But that's not even a part of the way that we should be walking. I think we, we go so far over in the ditch on, I don't care what you think, to what do you think? What do you think about what I'm doing? Have you ever had a non-believer say to you, well, you're not acting like a Christian. <laughs> How do they know that? Because God created them with a conscience. And they, they can even taste a little bit of how a Christian should be acting. Listen, we're ultimately accountable to God. That's what the scripture says. And it also says what we do with our lives affects other people. Either for the negative or for the positive. So live in a way that's going to affect people positively. God made us accountable to each other. He made us 
to where our actions affect other people. So we're accountable to the rest of the body. And this is the reason that God made us a family, so that we could walk together, work together, grow together, and become accountable in relationship. You know, we see this trend, too, in our society. And it filters into the body of Christ. But in our society, as you grow older, it gives you permission to just speak your mind and hurt people. Well, I've paid my dues, and I'm just going to let it all hang out now that I'm 80 years old. I can just tell people to go jump in the lake. Because I don't have very much more time on this earth. And so I'm just going to tell it like it is. Now that's, that's society. That we've paid our dues. And we don't owe anything to anybody anymore. So we're just going to just let it all hang out. But some of that happens in the body of Christ. Where we mature to a place of where, oh... We don't have to watch out with what we say and what we do. And we've grown to such a place that things are beneath us. And we don't have to do that anymore because we're more mature now. But listen, everything that we do in the body, everything that we do in our physical body has an effect on the body of Christ. Because people are watching you wherever you go. People are watching you. And people are tasting your attitude. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It's listed there on your notes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. This is how God made us, guys. Together. Forever. Listen, the the, the, the person on your left and your right, this morning, if they're born again, they will be in eternity with you forever. You're going to see them forever. That's great. Why why, why don't we live like we're going to be together forever, right now? Just be glad that you're alive. Be glad that they're alive. And be accountable to one another. Listen, I'm accountable to you. If I have a rotten attitude, please, somebody tell me. Don't let me walk around two or three hours with a lousy, stinking attitude. Help me. Stop me. Pray for me. Ecclesiastes 4, 9. The New Living Translation says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. I like that. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Now, what comes to my mind is the little lady, you guys remember the commercial back in the 70s, you know. Uh, I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> help, I've fallen and I can't get up. She's by herself and she needs help. And so somebody came up with a brilliant idea to design a, a, a little panic button that she hits and it calls the... The medics or the, what do we call them now? EMTs to come and help because, you know, if an older person falls, they may break their hip and that's not a good thing. And so the point is we need help. And there are times that we fall 
And we need somebody to help us get up. Don't just run in the room and say, wow, what can I do for you? Or how did you do that? How did you do that? We're beyond that. We, I need some help. Help me up here. It says, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But if someone who falls alone, who, someone that falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So it's obvious that God created us for community. If you look at the word community, it's, it's a compound word made up of common unity. Common unity. The things that we have in common bring us into unity. We're going to have common union, communion this morning to commemorate the community, the common unity that we have with the Lord. And we are one body, just like we were singing this morning. One body, one bride. Jesus, you're the Lord of all. Lord, teach us how to live in common unity. Teach us what accountability and responsibility mean as the body. We need each other more and more as we grow. Now, I mentioned just a minute ago that some people, the more they grow in the Lord, the more they think that they can become independent. But it's, it's just the opposite. The more you grow in the Lord, the more you should be influencing and affecting people that, that, that are following you as you follow Christ. Right? We are all called, every one of us in this room, are called to make disciples. So there's a level of leadership that God has imparted into each one of us that we really need to be seriously considering and, and applying in our life. You know, some people say, well, I, I just, I don't know if I'm ready to lead someone to follow Jesus. Well, if you wait till you're perfect, you'll never be there. So it, it's time to start right now. Here, let me help you read the book of John. Let's start in chapter 1, verse 1. That's a good place. Let's learn. Let's ask these questions. Let's grow together. Discipleship is not really a hard thing. It takes effort and intentionality. You have to be intentional, and you have to make a commitment, and you have to give it some effort. But we're called to walk together. And people think uh, that they've grown to a level to where people uh, who are young in the Lord become a problem and I don't want to deal with them, and so they just pull back and withdraw from participating. And listen, when you withdraw from participating, you're becoming a spectator. God didn't create us to become a spectator or a fan of what's going on in the field. He called us to join in and to get involved, and he wants us on the field and in the game. Because each of us have a big part to play. You know, a Christian that draws back from the body of Christ 
exemplifies selfishness. I can't, I want, it's not for me. I can't, I want, and it's not for me. They need help with the children, but that's just not my thing. I think I'll just sit and cheer on everybody else. We have to ask ourselves, are, are we participating, are we spectating, and why? Why will we not become involved? Why will we not become accountable? You know, accountability involves this submission to authority, which should be a core characteristic of the body of Christ. There is rank and file in the body. And God is looking for people to get in position and quit running around from place to place confused and confounded because somebody told you something that you didn't want to hear. I mean, last time I checked in the U.S. military, they don't give you a pass because they gave you an order and you didn't want to do it. Right? Now, they may give you extra push-ups and they may give you, uh, what do they call it, KP, kitchen, kitchen uh, duty, extra duty. but listen the body of Christ is very organized and and God doesn't run a loose ship and so as the body we should be submitted in fact in Ephesians it says submitting ourselves to one another in the fear of God even before it says anything about husbands Submitting our wives submitting to husbands and husbands loving the wives and so forth and so on. In Ephesians, it talks about submitting to one another in the fear of God. One version says, in light of everything that God has done for you, you should submit to one another in that, in that same love for one another. Because if you're a part of the body of Christ and I love Christ, then I love you. With an undying, everlasting Unlimited love. Listen at this. Lone rangers in the body of Christ don't ride very far in the kingdom of God. There's accountability. There's accountability. So let's look at two aspects of this accountability. Number one, accountability requires vulnerability. Vulnerability. You're going to be vulnerable. Vulnerability says, since you love me, help me grow. And vulnerability requires humility, but vulnerability produces trust. Let's look at this statement, since you love me, help me grow. This statement, since you love me, help me grow, means that I need your perspective. I need your perspective. I need to see things the way that you see them so that I grow in my ability to see the truth. Somebody said recently, uh, there's three ways of looking at things. There's your way, the other person's way, and then the truth. 
<laughs> you know, it's somewhere in between the way you see it and the way someone else sees it, right? But if you think you're always right and you've convinced yourself that you are, then there's no other way. That may be part of your problem. Why you're not vulnerable, you're not open to seeing things the way other people see them. That may be why it's hard to be accountable, because you don't want anyone else's opinion or position. Or the last time that you were vulnerable, you were hurt. There's a lot of hurt in the body of Christ. And hurt people are hurt because of, because of a reason. Hurt people are not able to reach out to anyone uh, and be, be vulnerable because of fear. They're, they're afraid of being hurt more and their fear of rejection if they do become vulnerable. But vulnerability requires humility. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Galatians 6, 2 from the God's Word translation says... Help carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will follow Christ's teaching. What this scripture is saying is that I need your help. I need your help. And I think everyone in here, if I'm reading the Bible correctly, needs help from somebody else. There's times that we struggle, there's weights that we carry, there's things that we go through in life that are unexplainable, that we don't, we don't foresee. There's things that, that come into our life that we're unaware of, that happen upon us, and we need some help. But if we're not vulnerable, then we won't ask anyone for help. And if we're lifted up in pride, when people do come help us, we'll say, no, we got this. When God has made a way for you to receive help. Vulnerability is so important in accountability. I have to be transparent before you enough that I can choose to share my struggles so that you can help me walk through them and grow. But let me just caution, you need to be very particular who you're vulnerable and transparent with. You need someone above you that can help you. Someone, and, and there's scripture after scripture after scripture, about submitting to those who are older than you in the Lord. And people uh, being the helper to help others through things, bearing one another's burdens, fulfilling the law of Christ, which is the law of love. If I help you bear your burdens, then I am following Christ's teaching. But you're going to have to let me know that you're dealing with something before I can help you. So that vulnerability is necessary because I don't know all things. I'm not walking three feet off the, the ground. I don't know when you're hurting. So if you're hurting, you have to tell someone. But we live in a world where if you're hurting, just go and hide. It's not okay to tell someone that you're dealing with something. 
Did you think about that? In the world that we live in, it's a sign of weakness. And a lot of churches, a lot of churches where people are hurting, it's a sign of weakness to tell anybody that you're dealing with something. This is sad. And I know I'm, 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 going, I'm opening this question here. Why do people consistently say the right thing and they're hurting deep down and they don't know what to do? They continue to hurt, but they're saying the right thing. They're wearing the right thing. They're driving the right thing. And they're seemingly going ahead in the external part of their life, but hurting on the inside, not knowing who to turn to, where to turn, not vulnerable, can't trust anyone, can't get over the hurt, and so they're not accountable. If I'm going to help you, I need to, I need to know that you're burdened. And I need you to trust that I can, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, help you. Trust is at the very root of accountability. And the bottom line is you're not going to share with anyone that you do not trust. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Now I know I may be asking questions here. But I'm expecting the Holy Spirit to answer them. And I may be asking questions that, that we, we can't get to the answer to them today. But I'm okay with that. Because not, not every message that I bring to you is, is going to end on some run around the room moment. Right? We're all dealing with things, Right? <laughs> honesty, accountability, authenticity is needed in the body of Christ. Matthew 7, 1 through 5, it says, do not, be, do not judge others and you will not be judged. That's huge. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard that you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So listen, there are a couple of principles or concepts that are dealt with in this passage of Scripture. Obviously judging. Judging sin. There's another concept of serving one another. The facts are we all sin and we all need help getting out of it. If you're dealing with something that's too heavy, I don't know that it's too heavy for you if you don't ask for help. Now, the other side of that is I need to be sensitive enough to ask questions and have a relationship of trust with you so that you can be honest enough to tell me the truth. The example of moving this 
400-pound chest. There was a chest in here. We've, we've done some work on some of these rooms. You'll notice that there's a door that disappeared on this wall over here. It's gone. And so we're using this other office, and we needed to move some furniture, and it was really heavy. It's, it, it was low to the ground, and it's not something that you could really pick up by yourself unless you wanted to hurt your back. But if someone was bent over that chest and someone else says, you need help, and they say, well, no, it looks like I can get this. I've got this. Well, are you being honest? The other person needs to come, and, and we need to weigh, we need to take inventory to see how much we can lift together. And then if it's maybe too heavy for both of us, we have to call in someone else. But we've got a lot of people in the body of Christ that are lift, trying to lift something, and they say, I got this, I got this, I got this. And they don't got this. And that's a bad position to be in. But one more step worse is to say, stay out of my business. I don't need, I don't need your help. When, somebody, when the Lord sends somebody along to say, hey, let me help you lift this. And you say, you know what? Get out of my business. I got this. And you're still sitting there a year from now saying, I got this. And that same person comes back and says, I thought you had this. Leave me alone. I got this. And you come back five years. And the person's still trying to lift. Saying, I've got this. Being vulnerable requires trust, but it also produces trust. I have to trust you to be vulnerable. But then when I find you faithful, I can trust you more. Right? We need to find each other faithful. We need to be accountable that we're not going to go tell someone else what someone told us. Military has a, a slogan for that too. Loose lips sink ships. You don't want to give any room for the enemy? Then quit talking about people and sharing what they shared with you. Because that's where vulnerability stops right there. That's where mistrust comes in. That's where division starts. And accountability goes back down to zero. Nobody's accountable. Everybody's fighting for themselves. No one's back to back. Instead of, I've got your back, I'm going to get you in the back. Before you get me. But vulnerability is, is a huge part of accountability, guys. And there's a big majority of the body of Christ. I don't know what the percentage is. doesn't really matter. But a big majority of the part, part of the body of Christ that's not accountable to anybody. Running to and fro and they don't call anybody pastor. They're not a part of any local body. We just go where we feel for this week or next week or... I did encounter one, by, one person a couple of years ago and 
They'd been coming for a while, and we had a heart-to-heart talk, and it, it wasn't in front of anyone because I don't like to ask those questions in front of people and put people on the spot. But I asked them the question, well, you've been coming to Lifeway for a certain amount of time now. Are you going to make Lifeway your home? Well, pastor, I'm part of the universal church. And I just go wherever the Lord tells me to go. Each week, I just try out churches, and I, I'm just... But I'm a member of the body, and so what does it really matter if I'm a member of your body? Well, there's the issue of accountability. Are you, are you accountable to anyone besides yourself? You can't, you can't be vulnerable accountable and grow if you're going to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, if you want to do it, and what does it really matter anyway? That's how the world acts, right? This is, it's a, this is a huge subject. Ask yourself the question, are, are you here for someone else? Are there people in the body of Christ that you know that are close enough to you that they would not feel condemned to confess their sin to? In other words, have you made yourself vulnerable to someone so that they see your weaknesses, so they don't have to put on their face and be be something that they're really not because they're afraid that if they confess something to you, that you would go and tell someone else. How many people are you discipling right now? How accountable are you to someone else? Do you have someone mentoring you that you can go and, and be accountable to and say, you know what, I'm just dealing with this thing and I just don't know, you know... Uh, I just keep hitting my head against the wall and I'm not sure what to do. Help me here. Pray with me. If the Lord speaks to you, show me the word here. Help me. Help. I'm falling and I can't get up. The second thing, confrontation. Oh, this is a real good one. This goes over real good. I think we need, really, now I'm saying this with all the love inside of me. I think we need to teach it classes in churches on how to confront. Because it is a part of the Bible. It is, it is, it is so liberating if it's done the way that God intends for confrontation to happen. But very few people know how to do this. You know, we write a whole book on how to deal with difficult people. And we read it, we get a little relief, and then we push it aside and we forget what we read. And there's so few of those books that tell us how to deal with difficult people. First, you know, the first part of the book is how to deal with me. Get the difficulty out of me. Take the pole out of my eye. Let me back up before I get into confrontation and and mention something about vulnerability here. Before someone comes to you, I've said this a couple of weeks ago too, 
before someone comes to you and says, do you see a speck in my eye? They're going to have to believe that you don't, you don't have a pole in your eye. So our job is to be pole free. To stay pole free so that people recognize we don't have a pole in our eye. So it's quite all right for them to come and say, hey, could you help me with this speck? Because that, that's what that verse is talking about. Me helping you get to where God wants you to be speck free. But how can I be, help you be speck free if I'm not pole free? Right? Trust and vulnerability. Confrontation. Confrontation says this. Since you love me, and I know that's an assumption, but since you love me, and I know that you love me, and you're part of the body of Christ, then tell me when I'm out of line. Wow. That takes extreme humility. Confrontation takes extreme humility. Because I used to be a non-confrontationalist, I can say this. I hate confrontation. Because I don't want to make anybody mad. I don't want to make anybody mad. And I, I believe probably 99% of us are all that way. You know, only the, only the day that we wake up on the wrong side of the bed, we have a bad hair day, and somebody pulls out in front of us in traffic, are we really out <laughs> to make somebody mad? But... We don't want to tell anybody that you just ran over my foot here, right? And it hurt. So confrontation is not easy. I'm not going to give you three steps to confrontation and make it easy. It requires humility. It requires humility on both parts for it to work right. I have to be humble enough and, and prayerful enough that when I do confront that it pr produces the fruit of righteousness, that there's repentance at the end of it, right? So here's Matthew 18, Matthew 18. Let's just say conf confrontation sounds like this. Since you love me, tell me when I'm out of line. It requires humility and it produces conflict. It produces conflict, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, but let's look at Matthew chapter 18. Beginning verse 15 through verse 17. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything that you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen... Take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. That's, this is a strong passage in the Bible. Most of the time it happens like this. If another believer sins against you, run and tell everybody what they did. So that you can be comforted and that you can feel better that you're not the only one that has ever been taken advantage of. That's how it works most of the time. 
That's why it produces broken relationships. That's why there are believers in churches that are hurting and they don't want relationship with other believers. They don't want to be accountable. They want to come on Sunday morning, greet, hug, say, you look nice, let's exchange phone numbers, let's get together one day, one day, one day. One day never comes. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay. You're okay. Here's the line. Don't pass. And so I'm not accountable. I don't have to be vulnerable. There's no need for confrontation because you don't know my business. And so... This is very specific, very, very specific. If we would practice this with the same love and care and concern for one another as Christ has for us, this would work. This would work. This would heal a lot of relationships. But again, it requires humility. Humility in this situation comes in the form of permission. Write that word down. Permission. I think it may be on your notes. Permission. You've given people permission. How many people have you given permission to correct you in the body? Or do you seem uncorrectable? We're not taught how to give somebody else in the body permission to confront us and correct us. And I believe... Because we haven't taught that, then it's, it's, it's one of the top reasons that there's so many people in the body that are carrying off offense. Here's what giving someone permission to correct you sounds like. Could I be wrong? Could I be wrong? What do you think? Could I be wrong? It's real quiet, real quiet. That's a sign that the Holy Spirit is doing some work. Accountability is huge, guys. If this is we church and not just me church, if we're going to grow up into the full measure, the stature of Christ, so that we can see the power of God flowing through us as the church. And we've been learning about this through killing kryptonite, right? I'm not just springing something on you that you haven't been hearing kind of in one way or another, right? This is the Holy Spirit working together with where we are in our life groups, small groups, to get us to a place of where He can show Himself and show His glory. Can I be wrong? Could I be wrong? Let me answer that question with as much love as as I can have. Yes. Yes. Most certainly, you could be wrong. But if we don't ask those questions, then we give off the attitude and the air of, I'm all right, I'm okay, I got this, I know this. After all, I read my chapter a day, do you? I've been praying, have you? And immediately we're drawing those lines. Don't correct me. But if the Lord is leading me to move towards someone because they've offended me, then I always say, I could be wrong, but this is the way that it appeared to me. Appeared. 
because I could be wrong. I'm not emphatically saying that this is what you did, but this is what it seems like to me. And I love you enough that I'm coming to you. And I can pick on Josh because there's no offense between us. That it seems to me that when you spoke to me the other day, that you were offended with me. Is that correct? I love you enough because I'm coming to you. I don't want there to be anything between us. And there's such trust and vulnerability between us that I know that I can come to you because I've developed this relationship with you. And I love you. And I don't want there to be anything between us. And I'm not doing this out of fear, but I'm doing it out of love. And this is hard for me, right? You can say, this makes me tremble because I'm on holy ground here. You're part of the body. And if there's something between us, we've got to work it out. And I'm willing to be wrong, but this is the way it it seemed to me. Right? It's not who you are, but it's what you did. It's not who you are, but it's what you did. We've got to be mature enough to separate people, the people from their actions. Mature people separate people from their action. You're having, listen, I can, I can say, I can make this statement unequivocally, sh- sure, 90% sure. At your job, you're having problems with people, right? <laughs> you're having issues, right? They're, because you're working with people that are born again, there's some that aren't believers, and there's, there's conflict. If you will learn how to separate that person from their actions, you can deal with that person in a humble way, and God will give you an open door to their heart so that you can minister to them without them even knowing it. And, and you can even confront in love and work things out without, without them even bristling up like they do with everybody else in the office. Right? But you have to separate the person from their actions. Let's say that all together. I separate people from their actions. Let's say it again. I separate people from their actions. You're not who, what you do. I love you, but there's sometimes you mess up. There's many times that I mess up. Right? And I thank God that Jesus is not looking at me as a messed up person. I'm just a person that messes up. You see the difference? So confrontation is, is a good thing because it, it, it produces repentance. If it's done right. I said that confrontation produces conflict. And here's why, we, here's why we resist confrontation. Because we don't want to deal with conflict. But why do we not want to deal with conflict externally, but we're so willing to live with internal conflict? 
Because until you confront, you're conflicted on the inside. The Holy Spirit's leading you because this scripture is true. If someone offends you, go to that person. The Holy Spirit is leading you, is leading you, is leading you. And internally, you're conflicted. But externally, you don't want to cause any waves. And there's the struggle. And it affects your vulnerability. It affects your accountability. Well, that's the last time that I'm going to allow that person to step on me. That's the last time I'm going to allow that person to step on me. That's the last time I'm going to allow that person to step on me. And pretty soon you're over in a corner by yourself. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. So there's two reactions to conflict here, guys. Two reactions. <laughs> These two reactions produce a decision one way or the other. You can either reject confrontation. Conflict brings two things, rejection or acceptance. If I come to Josh and say, hey, um, I prayed about this and I love you and it, it really, I, I've really thought about this. I'm not out of anger. I'm not angry because you took my parking space out in the church parking lot. I really want to work this out. I'm not making a scene in front of other people. We're going out for coffee. My heart is right. I prayed for him. I prayed for the situation. And I present this. This is where I see that maybe there's some offense. He has a decision to make. Either I reject that or I accept that. If I reject that, then there's no change. And then the relationship digresses. Jesus confronted Judas Iscariot in that setting where Jesus was pouring out his heart to his disciples. He did it in love, and Judas Iscariot immediately rejected. And he didn't change his plans. And he suffered the result, result of his choice, which was death. He hung himself. Suicide was Judas Iscariot's result of his rejection of the confrontation that Jesus presented. But remember that Jesus confronted Peter and said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And at some point, that came true. And at some point, Peter decided to accept that and say, Lord, forgive me. And the end of his life was life. Life. Right? So, James... Last scripture here, James. It's not down in your notes. Somebody help me where James, uh, where it says pray for one another. James 5, what? 5.16? Where's that at? Let me get to my Bible up here. James.
Now, look at, look at, what, look at what James, uh, by the Holy Spirit, is saying. Verse, we'll start in verse 13. James 5.13. Is anyone among you suffering? Does that sound like somebody's carrying a heavy burden? Yes. Yes. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing him with, the oil, with, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed any sins, he will be forgiven. He, he's going through a list of solutions to problems. To situations. Right? Then in verse 16, it says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's a problem there. That somebody needs healing. Doesn't say that they're sick in their body. It just says that they need to be healed. It could be relational problems. Where, here's the solution. Confess your trespasses to one another. But how can you pray for one another if you first don't confess your sin to one another? And why would you be apprehensive to confess your sin to someone? No trust, no love. I'm not going to be vulnerable and I'm not going to confess. And so I just choose to stay sick. Because I could never confess that to them because they wouldn't understand me. This is the reason why members in the body of Christ stay sick. Not just in their body, but in relationships. From one broken relationship to another broken relationship, another broken relationship. And all along their path is broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship. And if you hear them talk, the blame is on everybody else. But there's one common denominator. Them, right? I think it's time that we confess to one another so that we can be healed. How do we do that? We become accountable. Remember, I said I'm not, I'm not responsible for you or accountable for you, but I am accountable to you. How I walk and what I say and what I do, it matters. It affects you. Right? We are accountable. How can we trust one another? How can we love one another? How, how can we be vulnerable? This fruit of confession and this fruit of repentance brings healing. Just like unity releases power for healing. Remember, Jesus had to be baptized with the Holy Spirit before he went out and released healing. Right? The church needs a baptism of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we need to be healed before we minister healing. A lot of people are asking the question, why don't we see the power in the body like we did in the book of Acts? May I remind you that last fall, 
You can go back on the archives and listen to it and watch it. Kenny Blunt stood right here and he said, full circle, guys, full circle. He preached an excellent message, excellent message on how the church started is how the Lord wants the church to end. And we've had John Bevere teaching on the bait of Satan. John Bevere teaching on killing kryptonite to talk about these tough issues. Why it seems like we just can't get along. And listen, Lifeway is one percentage of the whole body of Christ and the whole body is dealing with this. The Holy Spirit, I can promise you that the Holy Spirit is preaching this same message in churches all over the world right now. All over the world. Because it's always time for the body to grow, grow, be edified so that we can mature, so that we can go do the work of the ministry. Right? I love you guys. Anything that I said this morning that maybe put a little finger on, on a place in you, I'm going to pray right now that the Holy Spirit would just feel that, the, the oil of Gilead, the balm of Gilead, the oil, the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit would just flow over you and heal any hurt, that you would release anything, that anybody, we're going to take communion here in just a moment. But I want to close this message by asking, is there anybody in here that needs, I don't, want to, I don't want to be presumptuous, is there anyone in here that needs to give their life and their heart, make a decision and a commitment to Jesus, as Jesus being the Lord of your life? If you've never made that commitment, that, that dedication to the Lord, do you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life?